0: You're listening to The 123 Show with me, Noreen May, on this Friday afternoon. It's the very last 123 Show, and I'd like to turn to a, a very important discussion and a topic that's very close to my heart. So in the next half an hour or so, we're talking about learning Cantonese for students from non-Chinese-speaking families. Now, while funds have been allocated by the government, are these children from these communities benefiting from them, or are they still lagging behind in terms of Chinese proficiency? And what are some of the challenges faced by the children and their parents? What sorts of issues are faced by schools when it comes to allocating resources? And what responsibilities do educators have? To mull over this very big topic, we're joined by Vivek Saigal, the co-founder of Hambalang, which is a community initiative that explores Hong Kong, Cantonese and Asian cultures by storytelling. And we're also joined by Manoj Da, the co-founder and CEO of Integrated Brilliant Education, which is a local charity that aims to educate and empower students from underprivileged, non-Chinese-speaking communities. Gentlemen, welcome to the program and thank you so much for joining us this afternoon.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Marie. We are. Thanks for having
0: me. Thank you so much for being here. Technology has sort of allowed us to, to do a three way uh, from different locations, which is amazing. And I'd love for our listeners to join us from their location. Uh, you can tune in uh, via Facebook, Noreen Meir on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, Vivek, uh, first of all, before we talk uh, a little bit more about the issues uh, that, that are being faced, tell us a little bit more about Hambalang and, and the initiative. Uh, what is it about?
2: Well, um I'm the co-founder uh, of this project and I've been having a tremendously fascinating and uh, productive time over these COVID years, uh, helping conceive and uh, um, realize with a hundred plus strong group of volunteer linguists, academics, uh, writers, illustrators, and recording artists. And this coming together of the uh, Hong Kong community is now creating open source, copyright free resources for the non-native learner of Cantonese that primarily focus, the focus is on the understanding and speaking of Cantonese first. So this project started in December 2019 with the incredible support of my co-founder, Dr. Lau, and his network of language professionals. Uh, Dr. Lau is a computational linguist. Uh, under the steady hand of our project manager, Joanne, and uh, the rallying together of, uh, of these hundreds of volunteers, we have been focusing on producing um, 240, and we have finished producing 240 graded Cantonese readers, um, lessons, and all enabling software. So, um, since last July, we've been starting, uh, reaching out to the teaching and, uh, learning community like Manoj's and trying to see if the materials we have created are of some use in the formal, uh, learning system as they are in the informal learning system.
0: What, what sorts of learning materials are you talking about?
2: So, um, the, um, the primary material that was missing in the market were uh, materials that were written in yukman, uh, written Cantonese is also known as yukman uh, and had romanization explaining each word um, plus a word by word translation of that Cantonese word into English or Urdu or Nepalese or Indonesian. So uh, what was missing were these materials that would allow a non-native speaker to take some agency in their own learning um, and we created those materials.
0: Okay. Um, and Manoj, you've been cooperating uh, with Vivek. Yeah. How do you use these materials in, say, your learning centers?
1: Uh, see, uh, you know, it's, it's come out of, so Vivek and his team and like you mentioned, Joanne and all have been working really hard. Uh, so as, as it turned out, uh over the summer holidays wherein you know the kids don't have the academic pressure of going to school and stuff so under uh joanne and his team supervision we've been uh experimenting with those learning resources our teachers have been implementing them our parents have been trying to work their way around it our students have been trying to work their way around it so it's a you know this is this is a perfect uh what should i say for lack of a better word a perfect marriage so there is his set of people who have actually got a wide range of experience and, and from their expertise and from their wisdom and knowledge base they've developed something but it's effective or its efficacy is only possible if you put it into play and and that is the putting into play is where we have a very uh, you know perfect idea partnership because then his uh, knowledgeable staff can see all right this is working this is not working this is super impactful or this can be fine-tuned a little bit more so we have been able to, via our teachers and parents and children, the three basic stakeholders who are the recipients or the beneficiaries of any educational pedagogy, uh, that's, that's where our interface comes in.
0: Okay. Um, Manoj and, and Vivek, can you give us an example of how the students would use these materials? Would it be for their homework or would it be uh, to, to learn uh, the, the, the language itself?
1: Please go first, Manoj. Uh, From our perspective, see, homework and all is secondary. I understand that, uh, you know, being in Hong Kong, that is the absolute uh, primary uh, push. But And that's why we were able to do this over summer. But this was more about understanding the language. This was more about getting your fundamentals right. And from the perspective of what will work easy and what will work best for the child. So it wasn't about uh, dumbing down things and stuff like that. But just making it user friendly and, and yeah, that was the perspective. So we were quite do you pick this up? Yeah, I think I think uh, the
2: the issue that exists is that um spoken Cantonese and written Chinese are about 70% similar. Uh thirty percent of it gets different when you write it formally. So typically by age three, uh, a child bought born in a Chinese uh, Cantonese speaking family hear 6,000 to 15,000 repetitions of word in a day. So by age three, he has a very solid foundation of three to six million high frequency words being repeated again and again and again. And with this foundation of the oral aspect of Cantonese, he goes into class and then is now taught to read and write. Now this puts the non-native um, um, speaker at a huge disadvantage because they do not have this, uh, this oral proficiency. this this oral gap in their understanding. And you will find very often that uh, children uh, are able to read and write, but they cannot speak and sort of understand Cantonese. Um, so we were hoping that by using storytelling, and, and I look back at my own experience, why did I fall in love with English? It was because stories enabled me to build that word and make English my preferred voice of expression. So we were hoping to sort of trigger that um, that sense of wonder in a child. And hopefully they will fall in love with the language. And instead of it being homework, can actually become a pleasure. So we hope that... Uh, um, they can. This can become part of a school's learning program because the last thing I want to do is to give additional work to a child that is already hugely overburdened in the in the Hong Kong education system.
0: That's such a great way of looking at it, Vivek. It's true. Hong Kong children are so busy that you don't want to give them an extra chore. And the best way to learn is just to have fun. And if they're having fun with the material and with the stories, they're able to pick up the the, the language. Um, now, now you both work with a lot of uh, non-Chinese speaking, uh, sorry, uh, Chinese uh, students from non-Chinese speaking uh, families. What are some of the main challenges uh, that they face? Uh, what are some of the z- disadvantages uh, that they they face? Manoj, oh
1: uh, yeah, well, uh, see, uh, I think uh, you know Vivek has already kind of done that bit of an overlap. So so the first thing is basically the environmental uh, challenge uh, that is there. So intrinsically, uh, that is not a a natural given for them. But that said, uh, I don't think that is an issue because it's a scientifically proven fact globally that kids at that young age are able to pick up three, four languages without a challenge. so what what really exasperates the issue is that as they get into schools, uh they get into schools which are doing uh, you know, easier curriculum and all that kind of thing. So there the entire immense amount of ability that they have kind of gets underused and undermined and is very, very underwhelming for no fault of their own. So so that is what starts. You know, foundationally when when the kid is getting educationally marginalized on the basis of language mm-hmm. and it's not just this if you if you look at what is normally reported in the media so uh, chinese kids going to the local school there's so much media reports on or oh, they don't really pick up english and all that kind of thing so it's clearly not an issue with the kids <laughs> because that way then every child in hong kong can't pick up a single language so that's really not the issue uh, but yeah i think uh, pedagogically, uh, and which is what Vivek and his team are trying to, uh, you know, sort out and find you. So that is that is the key start of it, the inclusion in an environment saying that, look, you're a child, that is all that's important. You're a child, you're in the school, we will treat all as equal. Sure, somebody may like maths better, somebody may like music better, that's a different story.
0: Yeah. Speaking of inclusion, actually, I'd like to pick uh, your brain and also Vivek's brain about the terminology that we should be used, because you know, language is very important and and labels are are not constructive. Mm -hmm. But somehow, um, and I have to say, the media are responsible for this. I see a lot of, you know, uh, media organizations and, you know, even at RTHK, uh, sometimes words like ethnic minorities or non-Chinese speaking students are being used and it just gets repeated. Now, I have to confess, the media can be quite lazy. You know, you see another media say it, you'll start picking it up. So, you know, let's just clear it. Let's just clear it on, the, on today's program. What's the correct terminology? Now, I've seen ethnic minorities being used. I've seen um, non-Chinese speaking students, which I always find a bit odd because they are Chinese speaking. You know, they just may may not come from families that, that speak in Chinese. Um, so, yeah, what, what, what's your take on that? Uh, Manoj, maybe you go first?
1: Yeah. See, uh, Noreen, you know, that's where uh, Vivek and I, we are like uh, absolutely in sync with what you've said. Uh, In the first place, non-Chinese speaking, non-English speaking, this is just divisive. Uh, You know, at the end of the day, if the child is coming into the school, that is the only thing that's important. It's a child, the child has to be educated, end of story. Don't complicate it, don't make it divisive, don't make it separatist, and don't complicate the situation. And don't put it into the child's head that you belong to segment a segment b segment c
0: because they're so now, susceptible of believing what you're being told what, what course, they're being told if you tell a, a child oh you're so shy they'll think oh am yeah. i really shy or am i too loud and it and it you know it plays yeah. on their mind
1: absolutely so this is this is clear you know like you rightly said it's labeling and you're clearly undermining the child for you know fault of the child's thing so uh so that's one the second bit is yeah the ethnic minority thing it's very simple English grammar, whichever ways you look at Hong Kong government census last year, 2021. So there's like 619 or 620,000 non-Chinese, uh, ethnicity people in Hong Kong. So that's 8.4%. They are all ethnic minorities. End of story. There is no, there is no other version. You are either of Chinese background, which is an ethnic majority, or you are an ethnic minority. But yes, the way, and as you have rightly pointed out, and you know Vivek and I often talk about this, is when, when this branding or labeling is happening, nobody takes the effort to clearly state, because perhaps just saying ethnic minority is a dramatic term or something, but nobody clearly says that you're talking about the socioeconomically marginalized segment, or for that matter, the educationally marginalized segment, or for that matter, the segment which is Suffering or lacking behind, or suffering due to intergenerational poverty because of lack of uh, language skills, or because they go to the local schooling systems, which are, you know, most likely not as inclusive. So that's that's you know, it's as simple as that. I don't, I don't, I don't, and you're right. I, I, (laughs) we don't really understand. Why this has been gone on and
0: on for so many years, uh, Vivek? Is there a preferred term that we should use instead? I I, I saw you um when you were talking, you were using uh, non-native learners, and I thought, wow, that's a and I wrote it down. I thought that was a, a nice way. Uh, what's your thought? <laughs> oh,
2: my my thinking is that uh, uh, ethnic minority is a great term for census purposes. I, I it serves some very valuable functions in every every government's uh, working. Um, and it's true that uh, Cantonese is the dominant language of Hong Kong, so uh, I would propose uh, and this is something I got from Mr. Lee who runs a program and it's not my own creation. I would propose that those who do not write speak and write Chinese uh, may better be classified as the linguistic minority
1: okay. right
2: um they they are not because when you when you make it a language issue, a linguistic issue, then the race aspect is taken away from it because there's plenty of Chinese people who also struggle with Chinese. Uh, there are um, uh, uh, people from Cantonese families who are returning from overseas. There are uh, our friends from the mainland. Um, there are all kinds of combinations of Chinese Filipinos, Chinese Malaysians who, who make Hong Kong their homes. So by, by re sort of branding the, these people as or us as linguistic minorities uh, we can take away all the baggage that comes with race that comes with uh, people treating a certain uh, uh, skin or a certain feature as the issue rather than the language or the acquisition of it as the issue
0: yeah because there are you're absolutely right because there are certain perceptions of the term ethnic minorities and um, you know and I I, I got to say a lot of the times it's usually referred to uh, southeast Asians rather than say um if you're from America or from Europe That's uh, right Man That's Manj? right Yeah sorry Vivek
2: Um the the, the thing that uh, um happens when you label somebody as a minority within the territories of Hong Kong, lot, then you don't realize that actually these are ethnic majorities in the world. <laughs> like uh like you know, India, Pakistan, Indonesia, and, and we're t- already like touching 2 billion, right? So uh, <laughs> by 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 Woo. calling them minorities, uh, we sort of uh, possibly sort of ignore the fact that their clout and influence extends way beyond Hong Kong borders. And this is to Hong Kong's advantage. Um, I mean, I don't know of anybody of South Asian descent who doesn't like being in Hong Kong. I mean, they, they like being here. They want to prosper here. They want to do something for Hong Kong. And by sort of developing them as, uh, ambassadors of Hong Kong, uh, it's only to Hong Kong's advantage. Uh, uh, we are a business friendly city and this is a business friendly decision to, um, to develop people from roots outside Hong Kong who live in Hong Kong to then speak on behalf of Hong Kong and bring back the benefits to it. So it seems like a no brainer to me.
0: Absolutely. And and the irony is not lost upon me. We have two wonderful gentlemen who are not from Hong Kong originally trying to promote Chinese language for our local students. So, you know, this is really remarkable. This has got to be, you know, uh, mentioned as well. Uh, Viveka Manoj, let's also turn our attention uh, to the issue of curriculum. So some people have called for, you know, maybe it is too hard for these students who don't speak Chinese at home and, you know, because they don't speak it at home they're going to be lagging behind, so maybe it's easier and it's better off for them to have a separate curriculum. This way, they'll do better in these curriculum. Um, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, Vivek, I'll take this. So, uh, see, Noreen, uh, it's, it's very simple. Uh, the, the same set of people who are talking about dumbing down the curriculum or making it easier for the non-Chinese speaking. Then there is another segment which is talking about dumbing down the English curriculum for the... Chinese-speaking kids going to the local schools, because apparently, if you went by media reports, the quality of English-language speaking amongst the local school Chinese kids is not that great. Also, and as Vivek uh, rightly pointed out, uh, you know, some years back there was this terminology which came out in the media, so the Chinese kids studying in local schools themselves labor the Chinese-language uh, paper as a paper of death. So, so I mean, so then why, why, why does it have to be dumbed down for a particular segment of the community when it's not, it's not a DNA flaw; it is not a DNA deficiency.
0: It's hard for it's, everybody. It,
1: it, oh yeah, it's hard for everybody. And then if English is difficult for the non uh, the Chinese kids and uh, Cantonese is difficult for the non Chinese kids, then clearly it's not the kids' fault.
0: But it's, people... there, there's something else involved. The, the people who are calling for a separate curriculum are, are arguing the point that it's not a level playing field and that, you know, some of these students from non-Chinese speaking backgrounds are lagging behind. They're not performing as well. Uh, perhaps they're having struggles and it's, it's spilling into other areas. It's affecting, yeah. frankly speaking, their enjoyment of school. So by yeah. having a separate curriculum, these students are able to do well, gain more confidence in Chinese as a second language. Is that, is, is that okay?
1: uh it doesn't know because when you do this easier language curriculum then at 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 whatever rate and whatever point you reach whenever you reach the universities etc uh, they will only pick the creme de la creme and they very clearly know that you have done an easier curriculum whereas an 18 year old your proficiency of the language and chinese language is a non-negotiable ntsc so it's not an option and it's not like international schools you do mandarin spanish german etc so yes if you want to actually do then you levelize and you rationalize the entire structure for chinese kids and non-chinese kids both that's that's a more fair balanced and inclusive otherwise the more you keep doing this and already you know there's tons and you know there's millions and millions and millions of dollars that's been spent by the edb uh, resources and everything else but oh, what's the point you know when it's it's just lands up Uh, you just land up uh, making them stand out like sore thumbs and and for no fault of their own. They have never said that, oh, I, I can't deal with it. The problem is, but if the Chinese kids can't deal with it, how can anybody else deal with it?
0: Yeah, so the, this, the the people calling for uh, a, a sort of uh, separate curriculum are, for example, uh, Unison, which is an NGO that advocates for the rights of uh, ethnic minorities, which which they use this term um, as well. And they talk about how students are graduating secondary school and their mm-hmm. Cantonese level um, proficiency is equivalent of a primary three-year um, student. Yes. So they're saying that it's too hard, so these students end up actually uh, coming out at a sort of lower level of of Chinese.
1: It's not hard just for them. No, it's When when the Chinese kids themselves are calling it as the paper of death, when the Chinese kids themselves have a lower level of English than the non-Chinese kids, then it isn't a child issue. Then it is something else. Then it is the service delivery issue, whether it's the educators or the schooling system or the pedagogy. And the pedagogy bit is what Vivek is trying to resolve. And correct.
0: And I think, and and just on your point, Manoj, it's true, I was looking, and according to the government's audit commission, they found that of 13,794 Chinese language teachers in Hong Kong, 72% did not attend the training sessions on teaching Chinese Hmm. uh, as a second language, which were organized by the Education Bureau between 2014 and 2020. So that's 70% of of teachers not attending these training, And, and... you know, we can all agree that teaching Chinese to students is hard work, let alone teaching Chinese to students who may not have that background. Are the teachers, are the educators failing our students um, from from your observation? What, what, what do students tell you? Do they tell you they're being supported enough? Because parents aren't really able to help them with their homework because they don't speak Chinese. Manoj, Vivek? Uh,
1: I'll I'll just go quickly on this and Vivek, you take over. So, Just just as a small nugget of information. So apparently last year, the Hong Kong government spent a mind numbing $500 million on supporting the Chinese language learning of non-Chinese kids in Hong Kong. Are you seeing the impact anywhere? So, So the kids aren't taking the money home. Their parents are getting the money. So, you know, there is a service delivery issue here. Why don't you take
2: that? I, I I totally I totally agree with what Manoj is experiencing. He's on the front lines dealing with uh, childrens in their hundreds on on a daily basis. What 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 happens when you dump down the curriculum? Is that then you take away stuff like you can't apply for a government job? Like you know like it, it, so it's not like. Um, it's not like a golf handicap, right? Like the total score is calculated by a handicap. But but in the end, if you do DSC, um, you you are able to get a government job. And if you don't do DSC, then you can't apply for a government job. And we are seeing in the UK, we are seeing in the US, that immigrants are fairly capable of serving the nation, right? If they have a a place on the table to to bring new ideas, bring new thoughts, um, and uh, and this gets taken away. So to Manoj's point, that intergenerational poverty uh, cycle cannot be broken. And then we are just creating legions of um, welfare recipients instead of creating legions of taxpayers. And, and I don't see how this can be sustainable.
0: We've only got a couple of minutes before the news, and this is such an interesting discussion. I wish we had even more time, but very quickly, is this problem unique to Hong Kong? I mean, when I look at places like Singapore, where you know there's a full integration of of language learning, when I look overseas, you know, uh, I- um, immigrants is a term they use in say North America and Canada. If you're a Chinese immigrant, those children are able to learn full. It, learn English fully? Is this problem unique to Hong Kong? And how can we, um, r- what sorts of recommendations do you have for, for, for educators and, and for the government? Maybe two minutes. Uh, Vivek and then Manoj? Uh, Manoj,
1: please go first. You have more experience here. Thank you. Uh, see, I'll, I'll just, uh, you know, Noreen, I'll just put it down to simple stuff on integration and inclusion. If you look at the previous generation, so there is a generation of South Asians or ethnic minorities in Hong Kong uh, who, uh, who are so good, who can think, read, write, speak, everything in Cantonese. So it wasn't that they were never able to do it. There was a generation which was doing it. The system at that point in time was more inclusive. And you can find dozens of such people. Believe me, they have all gone through the local schooling system. But somewhere the evolution happened. Somewhere the narrative changed, somewhere where people start saying, oh, hang on, this is too simple a thing. Let's complicate it. Let's call it ethnic minorities, easier curriculum and all that. There are 70-year-old, 60, 70, 65-year-old people who can do everything in Cantonese. How is it that they were able to do it 10, 20 years back? And how is it suddenly now we are having these problems? So it is just about inclusion. And it is about immersion, treating everybody with respect. Most importantly, please, people need to understand that these are the daughters and sons of hong kong you cannot constantly keep putting label one label two label three label four it's just not fair
0: yeah well said um finally uh, vivet can you uh, tell us a little bit more how can we find out more about humbalang have you got a, a facebook page or website
2: uh, we've got a facebook page but our resources are available for all on humbalang.hk uh, it's open source, there's no need to register. You can go on our sites, find the videos, find the audio files, download the PDFs, look at the lessons. And if there's any issues, any questions, just send us an email from the website and we'll try our best to respond to you.
0: Excellent. And Manoj, always a pleasure to have you on the program. Vivek, such a pleasure to meet you today. And I look forward to returning to this important topic. I'm sure we'll return in a couple of months time with some positive developments. The government would have heard this program. Thank you so much. Thank you. you.